We're turning in the Lord's Word tonight to the Psalms. Next to the last Psalm of the Psalter of the Church, Psalm 149. Psalm 149. All of these last psalms in the Psalter are full of praise to the Lord. And this one is no different. Psalm 149. Let's hear the Lord's word. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with timbrel and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and the two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. And God will add his blessing to that reading from his word for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer and let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we look off unto Jesus Christ now before we begin to declare the word of God and pray that because of him thou wilt give to us every bit of grace that we need, every bit of wisdom. We want to be led by the Holy Spirit tonight in what to say, what to emphasize, the application that needs to be made. Bring it to the mind and heart of thy servant. May he know tonight the Lord standing beside him and preaching to him the very truths he's preaching to others. And that thou wilt close us in this evening with thine own self. Lord, come and Speak to our hearts, we pray. Give to us that truth tonight that will make us understand afresh why we should indeed be a people and must be a people who praise the Lord. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen and amen. It somehow seems only fitting that the first word of the book of the Psalms, this ancient hymn book of the church, should begin with the word blessed. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And in light of that blessedness that belongs to all of God's people, 
belongs to the church, it's only fitting that the last words of the very last verse of the last psalm is praise ye the Lord. In between the first blessing upon God's people and that last praise upon God's person, there lies a record of, of just why the people of God are so blessed and therefore why they are called upon with all their soul and all that's within them to praise the Lord. Not to murmur. Not to complain. To praise. So many of God's people at some time or another have understood well the dying words of Moses when he declared, Happy art thou, O Israel, or blessed. Who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord? There the man of God states in and no uncertain terms, there are no people like God's people. Who is like unto thee? Never were a people so richly blessed than God's people. Never were a people so well provided for as God's people, so well protected as God's people. Never were a people so greatly loved as God's people. And so it was David who sang with all of his heart in Psalm 144, Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. This happiness, this, this blessing belongs to the church. And that means since they belong to the church, this blessedness belongs to each individual believer within the church. So if you are a child of God, this blessedness, this happiness belongs to you. As old Fanny Crosby, she might not like me calling her old Fanny Crosby because she really is no longer old. She's in heaven, so there's no more age. She's eternally young. But Fanny wrote, Oh, the children of the Lord have a right to shout and sing. For the way is growing bright and our souls are on the wing. We're going by and by to the palace of the king. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The world has looked for its happiness in many other places, but they've, they've come up empty every time. In the words of the hymn writer, I tried the broken cisterns, Lord... But all the waters failed, and Eden, as I stooped to drink, they mocked me as I wailed. The French philosopher Voltaire found out that happiness was not in atheism. If all of the professed atheists in the world could hear his Words, this rank atheist, I wish I had never been born. The poet Lord Byron, who lived a life of hedonism, 
not heathen, but hedon. He was always seeking pleasure. He found out that happiness was not in the pleasure of this world. He wrote in one of his poems, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Of course, you know the story of Alexander the Great, who discovered that happiness was not going to be found in military might, achievement, and glory. Having conquered the known world of his day, he wept in his tent and lamented there are no more worlds to conquer. But if this psalm, if, if this psalm tells us anything, it tells us that the Christian should take every means available to guard and strengthen his faith. If it tells us anything. Let me explain. David opens up this psalm with a clear call to the people of God to praise the Lord. Hmm. You can't help but sense the note of joy that permeates every verse. Praise ye the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful to their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. He's pretty happy, wouldn't you say? He's full of joy. Mingled with that desire for praise, you will find in that psalm an element of great, great confidence that the Lord will use his people to defeat their enemies. Yes, a song in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. <laughs> what a great combination. Certainly it's a song of a clear and certain hope that he has in the Lord's love for his people and their very happy future. Now the question you and I need to ask ourselves here is, is, is like it was this morning, is, is why? Why was David so full of praise for God and why was he so confident about his future? This, this, this was right thinking here. And it was the right thinking that produced this right kind of response when he thought of God and himself and his future. The answer is really found in the first part of verse 4. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. The Lord taketh pleasure in his people. Now I know the devil will use any means possible to convince you and me otherwise that the Lord does not take pleasure in us. He's not pleased with us. He's always cross with us. Grieved. But here's a truth that is repeated in God's word from cover to cover. You talk about a source of happiness... You talk about a source of satisfaction and contentment. You'll not find it in anybody else and nowhere else. But in this right here, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. That's what I want to speak about. The verse will stand for the title of the message. And the first thing that 
occurs to me as you think about that statement is the surprise that God takes pleasure in his people. Are you surprised by that? <laughs> Are you surprised that the Lord takes pleasure in you? I think you are. The Hebrew word translated pleasure is very rich. It means to be pleased with, to accept favorably, to be satisfied with. And the Lord is telling his people in this psalm, no matter what the day is, no matter where they are and who they are, he's telling all of his people, you bring me pleasure. I am pleased with you. I accept you. I'm satisfied with you. That to me is a surprise of all surprises. Because I am not the best thing since sliced bread when it comes to the Christian life. I wouldn't even make stale toast. It's surprising. But the God of heaven will look down tonight, the high and lofty one, and look upon you and say, I take pleasure. Why would he say that? Was it because you, you read your Bible every day this week? That you knelt on your knees and spent an hour in prayer every day this week? That you witnessed to the lost somewhere along the line, the line this week? And you stood up and defended the gospel when it was being attacked. And you went about doing good. Well, those things do please the Lord, but that's not why he takes pleasure in you. We're surprised that we bring God such pleasure in light of just, just who it is that says you bring me pleasure. His name is Jehovah here. It's Lord Jehovah. The holy God of heaven, Jehovah, the I am that I am, actually says to little old me, you please me. How, how could I ever describe how great... God is, what words could I find that are adequate to set forth the glories of Jehovah? If, if I ask the angels of heaven to help me, they would cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. If I look to the saints who have already entered into heaven, and ask them to help me come to grips with how great God is. Thou art worthy, they would sing. Thou art worthy to receive power and honor and glory and blessing. If I ask the saints of old 
Help me to understand. Help me to explain how great God is. And they would say with Moses, Who is like unto thee, O God? Who is like unto thee? Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And then God himself says, I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. When Moses says, Show me thy glory. He passes by in Moses and declares, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. This God takes great pleasure in his people. Isn't that a surprise? We're surprised that the Lord would take pleasure in us because the fact of the matter is if you and I are really honest and we really do know ourselves we don't take pleasure in ourselves. I would venture to say that if we are all truthful tonight with ourselves and with each other and with God that whenever we take a long hard look at ourselves whenever we search we find really nothing that brings us pleasure true the man who is proud and blind and, and ignorant of his own heart looks at himself and he has very high thoughts of himself how pleased he is with himself there's not a one of us here tonight, I trust, who knows anything of his own heart and finds within himself that which brings him great pleasure. We have looked into that mirror of God's Word. We've searched our souls. We've examined our motives, our day-to-day -day living. And we find so little pleasure. We groan, actually, more with misery and sadness than we do with any kind of pleasure because we, we see the, the faults and the failures and the follies and the blemishes and the transgressions. They just stick out in our mind. That's just natural. It's not just the imperfections that we see. Imperfections are one thing. Wickedness is something else altogether different. We take no pleasure. We find no satisfaction in the constant fickleness of our heart. This, this lack of faithfulness to the Lord. Inconsistent walk. The, the reticence to forget about making a great sacrifice for the Lord, but the backwardness, the slowness to do the least little things that the Lord would ask us to do. And we grieve because we know 
we find ourselves far too often walking by sight and not by faith. We fall and we fall again. We doubt the Lord's word. What do you say? If Paul would be compelled to say it, believe you me, we'd be compelled to say it, oh, wretched man that I am. We groan over a cold heart, our lack of love for the Lord. And we wonder at times if the Lord came and asked us the question he asked Peter at the, at the, at the seashore that, that morning, lovest thou me? We wonder if we would answer him like Peter did, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. So we are surprised knowing ourselves as we do, that the Lord would actually say, I take pleasure in you. I'm satisfied. Isn't that amazing? Hard to believe. Shocking. We're also surprised that God would take great pleasure in us because we know that His people have good reason not to take pleasure in us. If we're honest, those that live with us know us best. Those that we mingle with regularly. I'm talking about believers. They, they, they see our imperfections and they see our hypocrisies. They see our foolishness. They see half-hearted devotion. For a while, they may think hey, can, we can pull the wool over their eyes, but, you know, that only goes on for a little while. You can't fool all the people all the time. This, 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 this flesh, you just can't hide it out of people's sight. We're all guilty of giving offense in one way or another. No one's exempt. You've done something, you've said something. Whether it's through neglect or callousness, carelessness, downright carnality, it really doesn't make any difference. We hurt other people. And as one old divine said, God, and that's the case, we have given them more cause to lament our failures than admire our graces. But you know what? 
you and I have to come back to this fact. No matter what people think about us, no matter how they feel toward us, God says very plainly, He takes pleasure in us. If you're a child of God, God says here that He takes pleasure in you. It doesn't matter whether anyone else takes pleasure in you. That's surprising. It's hard to get your head around. Everybody here tonight was born the same way. Totally depraved. You weren't born innocent. That sweet little baby was born a sinner. That sweet little baby was conceived in sin, shapen in iniquity, while still in the womb. A soul, a soul that was sinful in the eyes of God. Why? Adam's transgression. That's how sin gets transmitted. You were born with the sinful nature. So that means we have all, in one way, shape, or form, we've all been rebels against God. Rebels. And even after the Lord put down the rebellion and He saved us and since that point in time, each one of us has still had our share of, of backsliding, of, of wandering away from the fold. Don't tell me that you haven't, because you have. We've all taken part in neglecting the Lord and neglecting calling upon the Lord and neglecting the study of the scriptures, hiding his word in our hearts, walking at a distance from the Lord, just going through the motions and being drawn to the attractions that the world says brings happiness. Yet the Lord is among us tonight and he looks us if I can put it like that, he looks us in the eye and with perfect truthfulness and with all of the infinite tenderness of his being, he looks us in the eye and says, you are so pleasing to me. I'm not displeased with you. I don't reject you. Yeah, you've wandered away from me so often and you haven't called upon me. But you please me. The second thought is the reason for that. Why? Certainly that question would arise in our hearts. If we have been honest with ourselves up to this point in time, we know, we know full well that the reason can't be because of something within us. That he actually takes pleasure in us. What could there ever be within us that's worthy of his acceptance and his satisfaction? Is there something, is there some grace he would foresee that would be with us, that would move him to take pleasure in us? 
Mm. Listen to Psalm 53. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Jeremiah 17, 9. How often have you quoted Isaiah 64, 6? But we all are as an unclean thing. And all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So now, we got this established. The reason that God actually takes pleasure in us, is satisfied with us, says, you please me, is not within us. Where is it to be found? Well, Isaiah actually has the answer. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. God the Father says of His Son, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. So the reason that the Lord, and brothers and sisters, you, this is a gospel truth, you must, you must nail down, and you want it to nail you down, God takes delight in us. He, 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 has, he has thoughts of, you're pleasing to me. You're satisfying to me. I don't disassociate from you. I don't reject you. I don't despise you. But my, how you bring pleasure to me is all because of Jesus Christ. All because of His elect Son in whom He takes delight. I don't have any other answer. when I am full of displeasure with myself when others are displeased with me if I do not check it all by this truth right here well the Lord is pleased with me I'm not perfect. Far, far from it. But the Lord takes pleasure in me. He doesn't disown me. Cast me aside. He takes pleasure. You see... God can't look down upon sin with pleasure. And so there is no way that God could have looked down upon us from the foundation of the world and be pleased with us if He looked for one moment, if He looked at us for one moment apart from looking at Jesus Christ. He never looks at us, never ever looks at us apart from Jesus Christ. As the hymn put it, God sees my Savior and then He sees me in the beloved, accepted, and free.
We get ourselves into problems when we forget that truth. We get ourselves into personal problems with how we view ourselves, our own outlook on life, and we get into problems as we look at other people, other believers, when we forget that God looks first upon Christ. He never looks upon his people apart from Christ. So, Paul would say, we're chosen in Christ, chosen, elected in Christ before the foundation of the world. So, that means his satisfaction with us, his pleasure in us, is never separated from the pleasure and the satisfaction he has in his Son. The reason that Jesus is satisfied with you if you're his child is because he's satisfied with Christ. Christ pleases him perfectly. And if you were chosen in, in Christ, <laughs> chosen in Christ, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that means he's always looking at you in Christ, always dealing with you in Christ. Because if he dealt with you out of Christ, believe you me, he would not take any delight, any pleasure in you at all. You would be rejected. See, you've got to be in Christ. We're a, very, we're a very fickle lot, aren't we? Even the best, who seem to be so steadfast, change, change, change. If God was like that, we would be in trouble. But he never changes. He put it very bluntly when he said, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because if I did change, ye would be consumed. So when we live in that world of fickleness, which produces unfaithfulness, the way that God can say you're always pleasing to me is because he never changes, and he never changes in his plan to deal with us in Christ Jesus. Christ never fails. That's, that's all I have. You know. That's all I have. It's all my hope. Because I do fail. I fail all the time. <laughs> this is not, you know, personal confessions here, just... I'm just hoping you will understand you have to say the same thing with me. I fail all the time. What else is there, brothers and sisters? If there's not this fact that Christ has never failed, 
And that's how the Lord looks upon us in Christ who has never failed. I don't always do the will of God. I want to. But every time I sin, word, thought, or deed, I'm not doing the will of God. But Jesus always does the will of God. Why in the world do you think he came? Well, he came to, to save the lost. Well, how did he do that? This is where there is too often a shallow understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, he came to save the lost. And the lost had to be saved. You and I had to be saved. But there was a way that had to be done. There had to be perfect obedience to God's law. Had to do the will of God perfectly, without fail, every, every moment of every day. And he did that. And he did it in my, he did it vicariously. He did it in my stead. He did it in your stead. So when we come to the place and there's sadness because we haven't done the will of God, I only have one remedy. I only have one refuge. Lord Christ did do all of that will. And he did it in my stead. He did it for me. And the Lord says, I'm satisfied. For my son's sake. You please me. Don't you see that this, this is the ground of the Lord's constant pleasure in us that never, ever changes? The Father has always taken pleasure in the person of Jesus Christ. Three times on the earth the voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I think of one of the most touching statements of Christ in the gospel where he describes himself. He describes himself to Nicodemus as the Father's only begotten Son. I'm his only one. He takes great delight in me. The Father takes tremendous pleasure in the purity of his Son. <laughs> The sinless one. Nothing that marred his walk. Not a moment of unbelief. Not a moment of wandering away from God. Not a moment of failure. Never ever. He would not fail. He could not fail. Pure as you can imagine purity. And that pleases the Lord. You want to know what the neat thing is? That purity is my purity and that purity is your purity. With my Savior's garments on, holy as the Holy One, wrote the hymn writer. With his righteousness, I am as pure as Christ himself. If you think for one moment that gives you a license to sin and do what you want, then you don't understand the gospel. But you know, the Father also 
took pleasure in the passion of his son. It's that wonderful phrase in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's the scene of Calvary. It pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to forsake Christ on the cross. It pleased the Lord to have his son die the death of Calvary. Why did it please the Lord? It pleased the Lord because, number one, it satisfied divine justice. Sin was being punished in his own son on the tree. But it also pleased the Lord because it brought about the redemption of his people. Something else the father takes great pleasure in regarding his son. It's his pleadings, his pleadings. He's always praying for his people. Always praying for you. And the Lord, the father takes pleasure in that. You see... This is why God takes pleasure in us tonight. It's Christ that makes our, our prayers, which we consider rightly so, so feeble, so inconsistent, marred by unbelief, marred by half-heartedness, lack of real desire for the things we're asking God to do, the, the inconsistency that marks our prayers. Yet the Lord still says, those prayers of my people please me. Because my son is pleading with me to hear those prayers, to receive those prayers, and to answer those prayers according to my will. You see, child of God, that really does bring great help and comfort to you when you feel that I can't pray. Especially with that come up, you know, in the public prayer meeting. I can't pray. <laughs> you see, the, it's, it's not how well you can put together words in prayer that pleases the Lord. It's not how many scripture verses you can quote. It's not how well you have learned the jargon of prayer. God hears you for his son's sake. They're praying, and they're praying in the name of my son. And he's praying to me while they're praying. Hear him, Lord, hear him. They're my people. And the Lord says, that pleases me. Not what I am, O Lord, but what thou art. That, that alone can be my soul's true rest. Thy love, not mine, bids fear and doubt depart and stills the tempest of my tossing breast. Wrote Horatius Bonner. It's not what I am, but what thou art. That's the only thing that will free us from the fear of being rejected, the thoughts of the Lord casting us aside. 
That's not who we are. It's who Christ is. I stand upon his merit. I know no other stand. Not even where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. What does that fact result in that the Lord is pleased with his people? Well, the psalm tells us, verses 7 through 9, in the first place it brings deliverance from their enemies. To execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. And you know what David said in Psalm 18? The Lord delivered me because he delighted in me. He took pleasure in me. He delivered me. He says here, he will beautify the meek with salvation at the end of verse 4. That means he will make us beautiful. How, how, how will he make us beautiful? Well, let me ask you the question. What's, what, what is it that makes you and me ugly? It's our sin. It's the tongue. It's the reactions. Sin is ugly. Unlike... <laughs> Unlike it is, as far as the flesh, the body is concerned, with the passing of time, we may have started out so handsome, if you're a man, or if you're so beautiful as you're a woman, but as you all know what happens with time, I was mentioning that this morning in passing, the beauty fades away. And the handsomeness decays. We might have been attractive when we were young, but time passes. So does beauty. I won't go as far as to say the word ugly, but you get the point. It's just the opposite in the spiritual realm. Because the Lord is pleased with us, He delivers us from those sins that make us ugly. And we get more and more beautiful. And you know what that looks like? <laughs> it doesn't matter what your outward appearance looks like. But it's the beauty of Christ that's upon you. That's what it looks like. That's the real beauty. That's what makes God's people attractive. And because you're pleasing to Him, He will deliver you from those ugly sins little by little. You're not what you used to be. You're not. You've changed. You may not have changed at the rate that people want you to change. I think you should change. You may not have changed at the rate that you could have changed. But the fact of the matter is, you have changed. 
Of course, not only will he bring deliverance from sin because he takes pleasure in us, but it will bring this pleasure of the Lord. It must bring discipline in our lives. So Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father the son in whom he delighteth. Takes pleasure. So if a father takes pleasure in his son, then he's going to correct him. Because he loves him. Or my son, Hebrews 12, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every one whom he receiveth. If you're pleasing to the Lord, he's going to chasten you. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. The rod is never a pleasant experience. But if he did not take pleasure in you, there would be no discipline. Because the apostle says in that same chapter, if you're not disciplined, you are a bastard. You are not a true child of God. He also, because he takes pleasure in us, he gives us a dwelling place. Luke chapter 12, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. That flock was little and it was afraid. Fears because of the multitude of the enemies, because of many difficulties in the way, because of a sense of their own sin and failure and weakness. But Christ calls them his little flock. My little flock. The Father will give to you the kingdom. Heaven at last is going to be ours. Don't be afraid. be a good thing to know that before you die. You, won't, you don't want to be on your deathbed wondering about that. Does the Lord take pleasure in me? Is he pleased with me? Is he satisfied with me? Well, there's got to be some follow-up here. If the Lord does this, if, if He is really so pleased with us, if He does all of this for us, then uh, sh shouldn't you and I be taking pleasure in the Lord? Shouldn't the Lord be our chief delight, the pleasure of our soul? Not displeased with Him, not displeased with His dealings with us, not displeased with His plan? not displeased with his chastening, not displeased with anything about the Lord. How can we be? He's the Lord. He's done all this. Well, Lord, it, 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 it's not what I would have wanted if I had the choice, but I don't. You're the one who knows what's best, and I'm pleased with you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not bitter against you. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to take pleasure in his love. 
I'm not going to look for it from somewhere else or someone else who cannot give it to me. But the Lord, He'll always be true. Well, since the Lord is pleased with you and pleased with me, we should take pleasure in His law, should we not? In His rules, in His, his commandments, His precepts. Shouldn't have a problem with them. That's why it's so strange to me. So strange to me to hear those who are professed disciples of Christ cast aside his laws. If the Lord is so pleased with us, has done all this for us, then we're going to take pleasure in his labors to serve him, to do what we can. My, he so works for us. I, 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 I really need to work for him and not groan when the Lord sends me on a task. Not groan at the responsibilities he's laid upon his people in the work of God. should be a delight. Okay, Lord, what can I do? What can I do for you? You've done so much for me. What can I do for you? All because he has taken pleasure in us. So why don't you and I go home tonight and when everything is quieted down just stop and reflect on this simple truth right here. The Lord is pleased with me. And as much as I would want people to be pleased with me at the end of the day it doesn't matter if God is pleased with me. For what does it matter if everybody else is pleased with you, but God isn't? That's not a place you want to find yourself. May God write his word on these souls of ours for his name's sake. Let's seek the Lord together in prayer. Let's all pray. Father, we come at the end of the Sabbath day. My, how this gospel truth stares us in the face. We thank Thee that Thou art the God who has put us in Christ and will never take us out of Christ. We see why we have good cause to praise the Lord. We see why we're blessed. Help us, Lord, to believe it. When we look at everything that tells us otherwise, help us to rest in that love thou hast for us. 
especially give us that understanding that Christ and Christ alone is the ground of our acceptance of why thou art so pleased with thy people. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. In his name we pray, amen and amen.